Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I love people who love cats and dogs, which is why I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, and the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. Every week, I bring you conversations with experts and authors who share our fascination with the animals in our world. This program originated and continues for the 13th year on 88.3 WLIW-FM, Long Island's only NPR station. Dog Talk is a production of Pet Media Inc., which is solely responsible for its content. There is a podcast library with more than 700 previous shows at RadioPetLady.com, along with my other pet talk shows like Cat Chat and Good Dogs. This show is made possible in part with the support of Waruva, a family-owned pet food company that makes high-protein recipes for cats and dogs. The show is also brought to you with the generosity of Dr. Elsie's Precious Cat, a privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian. My guests today are directors who have films in the Dog and Cat Film Festivals, which were coming up their premieres in New York, are October 16th for the Cat Film Festival and Sunday, October 24th for the Dog Film Festival. We have Mark Rivers from England talking about his very funny movie, The Cat Flap, and Jane Goldman in San Francisco, her delightful film, The Ballad of Muttville, part of the senior dog uh, celebration, and Tal Anderson in California talking about her film, Serendipity and Me. Well, this is truly going to be a pleasure. The funniest movie in this year's New York Cat Film Festival is called The Cat Flap. And I think it's just we Americans think all British humor is much more clever than American humor. And in this case, it's really true. Mark Rivers, congratulations on this utterly hilarious, delightful, funny, surprising movie called The Cat Flap. Welcome to the show. <laughs> oh, thank you very much, Trace. Those very kind words indeed. Well, it very is. Kind. it was absolutely hilarious. And it went from funny <laughs> to funnier. I mean, it, it has this sort of, well, you being British, you're inside the box, so to speak. And I'm looking at the, the label on the outside. I, I don't know if you think of British humor as being more wry or dry or more low-key than American or maybe than, I don't know, Australian. Do, do you think of British humor being that way or being British? You're just I, like, yes, this I is think, how we are. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yes. No, I think I think you're right. So it's the sort of humor I like is very is exactly that, very dry and kind of deadpan and, you know, you can kind of take it or leave it. You find the humour. It's not it's not overly not overly signposted, if you know what I mean. Correct. Yes. Deadpan is the right word. So yeah. when did you get the idea? I don't know if it was COVID-inspired or you always had in the back of your mind this cat flap and this rather chubby cat and what his life is like and, uh, you know, a, a, a video camera documenting what happens at the cat flap, yeah, particularly well, at yeah. night. When did the idea come to you? Well, it came it came from a whole from this kind of from this alter ego that I've, this character that I've created, this Paul Edward Robson, who is the you know, he is the character that I've created that's made that, that makes these films. And it was from it's from actually a whole series of them. Um he's a what? you know Paul Edward Paul this, Edward Robson. This is, is one a, of a, several 
This is one of several yeah. films about the cat? No, no, they're not. No, they're unfortunately, no. Oh, too it's, bad. It's, it, it, he's a, the, the, this character's a filmmaker. I see. And he, but his, his, his love is wildlife. He's, he's got aspirations to be a kind of a, well, a David Attenborough in his, in his <laughs> <Yeah>. dreams. <laughs> um, so, you know, but so he makes films about wildlife. There's another one um, about the bird table. There's a, the, you know, it's all things around the house sort of thing, quite domestic type right. stuff. With aspirations uh, of greatness, that it will somehow go further than just the the cat flap itself or the bird table. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Oh, so that's not you. That's your alter ego speaking. Well, it's, I mean, you know, it's everything. It, it's almost me. <laughs> I, 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 it has to be almost you. So yeah. talk about when you realize that this cat's peregrinations at night and especially his eating habits and the fact that you are his servant in this area. When did you think, well, this would certainly be a movie? Uh, it was he, he was he's just such a character. He he really because you know he he moved in from a few doors down. The um the 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 woman that used to own him was moving in with another with with a chap who was actually allergic to cats. And Wade by then had befriended him and he'd been kind of popping round and and she came round and said we you know I know he's coming round here. Do you want to do you want to adopt him properly? So. You know, we kind of took him in, and from he was just such a character, and just watching him going about his daily business, I just without a story in mind, I just started kind of filming him because you know because I work in the business, I've got all the equipment, I see. so I could just I could just film him, and it just kind of grew out of out of that, you know, the infrared stuff, filming him at night time, and finding out what he did. What I would love to have done is the, you can you can now get I mean this is technology moves on but you can now get cameras on the collar can't you that, yes that's the GoPro the, type of thing yes exactly exactly but I just felt that um GoPro that, that I, I just think they're a little bit too big at the moment I didn't want him to be uncomfortable I felt, yeah I felt like it was maybe maybe a little bit cruel and I didn't want to do that I didn't want to set him off with a great big camera <laughs> on his shoulder <laughs> not to mention the fact he could not have gotten in the cat flap because yeah, just the first time we meet him and you've had to prop open the cat flap. These are spoiler alerts, but really you have to see it to see the hilarity of it. So he wasn't going to do it on his own. You had to prop it open with a cord or something and he then never, he could barely he, get through. Yeah, he never came in through with it, with the cat flap down. He never, he never, he just wouldn't come in. He just refuses to come in. And it was not until we've, you know, we've bungeed it open, and then he'll, he'll come in. It's he, he is such a character. And then, of course, really there was. were there were other cats that took advantage, or an other cat. <laughs> a few doors down, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Pushkin, who's who? I mean, you know, it's a it's a real. He is a real. He is really. You know, he he belongs to Alison and Andrew a few doors down, and they do. They just have this running kind of. I don't know. They just they just they're very so territorial, and every now and again it does flare up into a. I mean, what happens in the film? Um, again, spoiler alert. But what happens in the film is obviously exaggerated a little right, bit. Of course, you you over dramatize <laughs> um, yourself being hurled exactly, into the veggies. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is. Um, 
you know, they, they just do have a running battle. It's it's peculiar. You know, it's just, just what cats do, I suppose, isn't it? It is. And I guess that's really what makes the film so funny and so real is that the character, the human character unseen except for your hand feeding various tidbits at the time that he wants them. Tiddly Palm, I think he's called in the movie, um, or that's his nickname. Um, It's sort of what happens with everyone and their cat if they let it get to that point where you're basically a handmaiden and you're a handmaiden and the cat you know, is expecting that. It's simply the the noblesse oblige. Of course, you will give me real chicken bits at 3 a.m. And then at 6 a.m., you'll give me the stuff from the tin. And I think everyone could relate to it because it's quite, I don't, the, the character who is you, but is the alter ego of you is so funny and so kind of resigned to this role of handmaiden, wouldn't you say? Well, you, you, you just you just have to do it, don't you? But, and actually, that was a question because with you being a cat aficionado, I was going to ask, what is it? Because you can't, I can't ignore him when he's meowing for food. You know, he just, he, he comes up and, and, you know, he is hungry because he's, he's come up, but... I know you shouldn't. I don't know what the what the etiquette. I don't know what the protocol is. Really, that's you adorable. Know, that's so cute. The protocol. That's a great question. It's actually one that comes up not infrequently. The whole idea of midnight munchies, which cats yeah. get, where they they if the, if meowing doesn't work, they jump on your head, they go under your covers, <laughs> they attack your feet. I mean, you know, cats can get way out to the extreme if you just don't get right up and feed them. But in fact, it's we people who have taught them to to we've taught them to teach us. So as soon as you respond to it and you respond to the midnight munchie behavior by saying, oh, you must be hungry, you poor thing, then you get up. And in the movie, it's just so funny how how the protagonist, you know, just on cl- by clockwork, just ex- the, he expects <laughs> to feed the cat, and the cat expects to be fed, and it's like those babies, you know. Sometimes people have babies that sleep like a log throughout the day, and then throughout the night they don't. And yeah, you know, you yeah. want to try and change that for for your sake, just selfishly. So the answer is the protocol is. That uh, if you have a cat doing this, you can take uh, credit for the beautiful job you've done training your cat to wake you and make you into their servant. So good for you. You're a good trainer. So now you have to train them and teach them a different way of doing it. One thing is that cats are not nocturnal hunters. They're dusk hunters, dusk and dawn, but more dusk, when the light is going down, not when it's totally gone. So that would be the optimal time of day for a cat if they were... Well, cats in England, like you, are very often half indoor, half outdoor. In the U.S., we frown on that, and many cat rescues make you sign an affidavit. You will never let the cat outdoors. And a friend of mine, one of my book editors, moved to London, big cat lover. It's because of her that I wrote the Cat Bible, having written the Dog Bible. And she wanted to adopt from the RSPCA, and she had to sign a document saying she had always let the cat out. Meanwhile, she lived in the middle of London. I was like, wow, different strokes for different folks. Yeah. So cats who can go out have access to rodents and insects and lizards. You know, how much they really get birds is is not proven, but they definitely do eat rodents, which it, everyone thinks that's quite handy. And they eat all sorts of bugs and they just entertain themselves as well. But if they haven't been successful 
or if the chicken that you offer is that much easier to access than having to actually hunt for your own dinner, then they they get in the habit of doing that. So what you want to do is feed the last meal of the day to the cat as late as you possibly can and precede mm-hmm. it with a three-minute play session. Now, three minutes, not five, not 20. It's like, oh, I'm so tired. I just want to go to bed myself. You get out the fishing pole toy because done properly, all cats will respond to those. And you play realistically with the cat, with the fishing pole toy. Now, some fishing pole toys that have different um, things you can dangle at the end. It either looks like a rodent or like a little bird or like a worm or a, or a snake or tiny. But you want to make it realistic for the cat to chase it. So you put it under the furniture and you move it in a herky-jerky the way, the way an actual prey would move. And at the end, you let the cat jump on it, but not destroy it, depending on some of these toys are a bit fragile. And then you Mm -hmm. feed the meal. You can give a treat right then, like even a little piece of chicken. But then you feed them their latest evening meal. So they've now eaten at the correct biological time for them at the end of the day, either end of dusk or it's already dark. Now they should be sated through the night. So if they wake you up... The thing not to do is train them to continue waking you up. Mm-hmm. So you close your bedroom door. Some cats are really good at scratching on the door, meowing at he the does door. That. He does that. Yeah, He's hurling himself that. against the door. So then you <laughs> buy one of these puzzles. Now there's homemade ones you can buy, but it, I don't think it's quite worth the effort to you know become an engineer. And they're toy puzzles, puzzle boxes for cats that hide food in the compartments and the cat has to figure out how to open the compartments. So you either use one or two kibbles of dry food, which I was very glad to see that Tiddly Palm eats wet food in the movie because that is the correct food for cats. (laughs) So you either can put um, freeze-dried pieces of meat, chicken, fish. I'm sure you have them in England. We in America, all the companies make those. Or if you want a small amount of a high quality kibble, but really small, like maybe in the whole puzzle box, a dozen pieces, not a dozen per box, one per box. And you that gives the cat something to entertain himself and a delicious thing to find inside the puzzle box without waking you up. And you just hope that the puzzle box that you bought at high price is the one that your cat will actually well, respond yeah. to. In the beginning, put something really good and smelly in there, like, I don't know, a piece of sardine or something, wash it out later. So the cat knows that inside those compartments is something wondrous to find in there. So that oh, that's that's one way to one do it. But I, I think that, that the, the cat flap is a perfect example of how cat can turn man into his servant. I mean, you are master. You are his, I mean, Tiddlypom is your master. In the yes, movie. totally. It's totally. so funny. So you are a filmmaker of other movies that does explain the kind of confidence with which the movie comes across. I mean, it has that wonderful homemade feel, but I see now it's on purpose. It's not because you only can do homemade. You can you can go all the way to very professional, right? Well, I mean, yes, I am. I, by you know, my, my my day job is a is a, a TV editor. So I, you That's know, quite I do. Funny. Yeah, I do. I do do. You know, I've, I've got access to all the equipment and stuff like that, which is why, you know, in my spare time, I just I just make these fun little oh, films. Oh, that's so great. Well, we're yeah. really glad you did it. I will say that 
the the way you did the aversion of GoPro is that you had the camera out in the garden, and I liked that better. It's I, I think better than 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 you know poor Titlipom you know making him be your be your be your uh, your DP. I think it's better that you did your own camera work. Yes, it's very no, effective. Totally. Yeah. It's very effective yeah. and incredibly funny. Is there any chance that there might be a sequel for next year's film festival? Because I'm very proud and excited to have it this year. But now that I know I could entice you with I don't know what kinds of bits of chicken to make another one, you know, a, a, the well, cat flap two type of thing. I, th- I think I think there will be Tracy. <laughs> oh, good. I think I think there will be. Um, there's there's two new editions. I don't Ooh. know if we can. I don't know if we can. I don't know. I don't know if we can talk. You put, don't know if we can talk about this, but we've got we've got we got two two more cats. Wonderful. <laughs> well, then I mean, they're stars of tomorrow, is the way I look at it. Yeah, George and Walter, watch this space. <laughs> <laughs> Stay we, tuned. And they, and Stand we, by. We, we, we got them um, from the Cats Protection League. Marvelous. Uh, two kittens. Oh boy. Um, what a couple? They're brothers. One ginger, one black, and what a couple. We've had to move every single pot plant <laughs> into one <laughs> into the spare room. <laughs> which is my which is where I'm talking to you from now, which is my, my edit suite, stroke workroom, stroke stroke. Safe space. Um, the only, yeah, the exactly. only place you're all safe the, from the marauders. The everything, everything is in this room. Oh, that's so funny. Or they will destroy it. Well, I would only say that while they're in the, the bloom of their of their youth, get as much footage as you can, because especially with your editing skills, you never know how you'll put it together. But they'll yes, never exactly. be yeah. this young and this obstreperous and this hilarious again. <laughs> or in their case, it, it's actually protocol is a great idea to get two litter mates of cats. Not a good idea with dogs to get litter mates. A terrible idea. Great idea with cats. So you've done the perfect thing. They have each oh, other to, to to molest and aggravate and annoy for the rest of their lives. And you can you can jump in when you're in the mood as opposed to being – uh, pestered to death. Well, Mark, we've run out of time, but it's oh, such sorry. a pleasure to meet you. Such a delight, this movie, The Cat Flap. I can't wait for people to see it on Global Cat Day in New York City and then across the country, October 27th. It'll be in dozens and dozens of theaters. Thank you for the joy you brought to us and for celebrating Tiddly Palm and all of his Tiddly Palmness. Oh, that's brilliant, Tracy. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Carry on with George and Walter. We look forward to seeing what you come up with for next year. Excellent. Thank you, Mark Rivers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This show is supported in part by Meet Me, a privately owned farm in Virginia that makes raw frozen foods and dehydrated treats for cats and dogs using animals raised on their own farm. This show is also brought to you by Merrick Pet Food, which began as a family-run company in Texas 30 years ago, where they are still making natural pet food. I have an enormous pleasure to talk to Jane Goldman. She's the director, not only of The Ballad of Muttville, one of the most hilarious, snarky, sneaky, wonderful films in this year's New York Dog Film Festival, but she is one of the absolute founders of Muttville, which is one of the absolute first senior dog rescues in this whole country. And by now you guys know that Saving Senior Dogs Week is the beneficiary of the New York Dog Film Festival in New York City and in all the many other cities where it's going to be this year. 
But I'd love to really tip my hat to you, Jane, for having been there at the beginning when nobody gave two hoots about old dogs. They said, ah, let them die. They really did. And and you guys, you and Sherry and a handful of people said, uh-uh, not so fast. So what does it feel that's, like that's- to finally be basking in the realization by many <laughs> others that old dogs are fabulous? It, it, it could not be better. It is wonderful. I mean, we have at Muttville adopters coming back for their second, third, fourth dogs, not just because their dogs have passed away, mind you, but because they love these dogs. Yeah. They are, they're just, they're, they're just charming and warm. I mean, they come with, I don't know how it is, how it, how it works out that way, but they come with these full, rich personalities and are just mm-hmm. grateful, grateful mm-hmm. to be in your home. Which, yeah. But how did you get involved yourself personally, Ms. Jane Goldman, on day one? You know, you've been on the board of directors since day one. You've been making films about Muttville when there wasn't even a place much to show them. Forget the dog film festival. There wasn't Instagram or Facebook or anything. You just had this idea. There's stories to be told. We need to celebrate what's going on. What what was the, what was your impetus in those early moments? Well, well, you know, in the in the beginning, I I knew Sherry Franklin, the the, the founder of Muttville, um, before Muttville, and she had been talking about a senior dog rescue for years, um, and because I had. Uh, uh, been uh, successful, successfully started up a couple of companies. Um, I, she she asked me to help her start up Mudville. Um, just as, as a you know, just it, she started rescuing dogs in her house and um, finding them homes, bringing them home from the shelter because they weren't going to get adopted and they were going to be euthanized. So I I was there to to help build it into uh, an organization, a, a, a bigger organization. And, uh, and I say help because there were lots of people that saw the value of this organization and shipped in to make it happen. But it was in the beginning, it was, you know, it was for me, I, I didn't have the complete faith that Sherry did mm-hmm. that people were going to want to adopt older dogs. Yep. Um, I, the animal rel- welfare community had been, you know, chipping away at this homeless animal situation by, by going for the low hanging fruit, by, by offering the puppies and the purebreds and nobody, nobody had the idea that maybe we go at it from the other end. Maybe yes. we, we show the value of these dogs that those in the, in the dog rescue community and the animal welfare community knew were the greatest dogs, but people coming into the shelter didn't. So they, you know, just said, okay, fine, puppies and purebreds it is. But Sherry and others saw that, in fact, these dogs are so great. They're so great. And started just marketing them. And that's where I came in. I was making little videos and, and, and writing, you know, little newsletters, taking the approach that, these dogs, this is not a tragic situation. I mean, right. the situation there it is tragic. Yes. But these are not pitiable creatures right. that need your, 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 your right. you know, charity. 
That's that's very well put. To not make it this sad story of the matted dog with one eye missing, limping along. They were like perky little old guys, you know, that could sit on a bench and smoke a pipe and, 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 you know, tell great (laughs) stories about the good old days in Las Vegas. I, I, yeah, there, there is that sense, um, that I, I would have been like you, like, you know what? Nice idea. But honestly, who's going to want yeah. to take on it's mostly physical demands because some of the dogs are incontinent or some of them have they all have bad dental problems because they probably had some degree of neglect from their previous owners. But they've got their arthritis and maybe they've got a heart murmur and they have things that aren't just a turnkey operation. You know, it's more like a fixer right. upper. and. The question was, were were Americans open to the idea of fixer-upper pets, or do they want that kind of push-button happy thing with something that, you know, is unblemished, if you will? And I think it's really amazing, your marketing. You did a great job. Yeah, I would just want to say though that let's face it, turnkey is not what a puppy is. Oh God, no! If you want, if you want Mm-mm. a turnkey pet, in fact, your the senior dog is probably closer That's right. to that. That's but, a really good but, point. But uh, but but yes, that was definitely the impression. Well, the perception, was, uh, you know, do you want a, yeah. a do you want a previously owned car, which used to be called used, or do you want one fresh off the factory <laughs> floor? Well, you know, exactly. and and we are a fresh <laughs> off the factory floor. Not we don't we're not a nation we're not an we were certainly not a nation at the time that Muttville was started, that understood you know reuse recycle relove, it was more like Most discard definitely. and get the fresh one. So how long ago was this? That when were those very early days? Well, the organization Muttville started in two thousand seven, and um, though Sherry had been rescuing and 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 informally adopting out dogs before that. Um, and, and, and back then you're right. We were, um, one of the first, if not the first senior dog rescue. Um, and, and it was, uh, it was kind of word of mouth, of course, Mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, it wasn't, it was, people went, if they went to the shelter at all, I mean, it was still, even, even that recently, it was a breeder, uh, go to the breeder, go to the pet store. Mm -hmm. That's Um, right. there was also no social media, which has been really um, sort of an interesting underground railroad Definitely. sort of way of mm-hmm. rescuing animals. Which didn't exist so was, then. You know, People don't realize right. how far the rescue situation has come in utilizing all that and how you were so grassroots. And even though you were a very successful woman in business, building businesses, marketing them, it was still – the accessibility of people to what you had to sell, if you will, or know about was so limited. Right. Right. I, there was no, um, right now we can post dogs on our website and on Instagram and Facebook as soon as they become available. But that was not the situation back then. I mean, we, we were innovative in that we had a, a, a back end on our website that allowed us to upload the dogs as they came in. Um, that was something that we had that, that very few had, um, a sort of, you know, work rather than just a brochure website. But, but we, but we also early on took the approach that, um, this is fun. Nice. This is really fun. Nice. These are, these are, these dogs are hilarious. Nice. Uh, and, and it's so, I mean, at, when Mudville became an organization with a, 
with a place with, you know, a building right. uh, that wasn't Sherry's house. Um, it remained this cage free shelter. Um, dogs are everywhere. Uh, the video that I made in that's in your festival this year um, is a small exaggeration of the, the chaos that's inside, but, but, but dogs are everywhere. They're in desks, they're in drawers, they're <laughs> snoozing in the sunshine, you know, they're, they're wandering around, patting around, looking at everybody that's there. Um, it's, it's just, it's such a cheerful and, and, and just charming environment. If you sort of imagine an old age home, instead of people being close into their individual spaces and, you know, lingering there <laughs> because they're not very mobile, it's like everyone's in the sunroom hanging. And if you want to go off in yeah. the corner, there's a bed everywhere. There's a couch. There's a chair. Anywhere you want, it's all okay. You know, nothing's off exactly. limits. Let, let's talk exactly. about the film because the first time through, I mean, I'd love people to come back to the Dog Film Festival a second time, but you sort of can't. It's a one-shot deal, right? It's going to be in San Francisco <laughs> one time and in New York one time and many, many, many other cities. It's quite exciting. The The New York one kicks off Saving Senior Dogs Week, which is now has 25 groups that are their own version of Muttville. Of course, Muttville's, you know, front and center so along with Lily's Legacy. And uh, it's quite extraordinary that in gone from – what? Senior dogs to 25 rescues. And there's more than 25. There's up to 50 that do nothing but sanctuary and rescue old dogs. But your film, and I've had several of your films in previous film festivals, very touching, very sweet and funny. And one that was just about Sherry, the year that she was nominated to be, I think, a CNN hero of the year. And you made a, a or somebody made a really good movie about her and how this started. But Ballad of Muttville is very sneaky because you aren't quite sure what you're hearing and seeing in the beginning. And I love that you are doing a play on that. T- talk about the play on the the heartstring tugging, give me some money song that everybody makes fun of because the ASPCA ran it and ran it and ran it when they didn't have any depressed dogs in rusty cages with their teeth falling out. But this this ballad that was, they they raised, I don't know how how much money from people go, oh, that's so sad. And other people say, that's baloney. There is no such problem. Not like that. It doesn't look like that. So tell about how you did a play on that. Sure. Well, well, or they say, please shut it off. I'll give you money if yes, you just stop. Please stop. You know, You're killing me here. Like, You're killing me. I'm yeah, dying. Yeah. <laughs> and so one of the one of the challenges I think of marketing senior dogs to the public is that they do think that it is this tragic situation, right, right. and that that that, that 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 really for you to walk into the doors of Muttville means that you're going to walk into a very, very sad place and you, you're going to just, just have to have compassion. Right, and, right. and, and, and so that is how we start the, the movie. That's how we start the, the, the video is, is um, with one of those SASPCA, Sarah McLaughlin style, sad, sad songs. We open the doors of Muttville and discover Whoops, it's not like that at all. <laughs> so you <laughs> open like these different doors. It's so funny. Yeah. It's, it's not a spoiler alert to tell it because verbalizing <laughs> it is nothing like seeing it. So it's all so yeah. sad and you're thinking, oh, it's just going to come in and there's going to be all these, you know, sick and dying dogs. 
And so somebody opens the door and there's like hard rockers in one room. These these old dogs dressed in, how did you do that? They got beer cans <laughs> and bongs and they've got like, you know, like, I don't know, goth. Bandanas. Bandanas. Yeah. With skulls on them. Hair, that's the hair metal room. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> And then there's the punk. There's a bunch of a bunch of dogs who are just jumping around like crazy, because there are. That is actual fact. That there are senior dogs that are bouncing and pogoing around like like puppies. Yeah. And so you go in that, and then then the punk rockers are just jumping around and tearing everything apart. Then you go into the other mellow room, and there's our reggae. Our reggae yes, boys, yes. our reggae, reggae, slightly stoned, are, and they've got like yeah. Rastafarian hair. And so each time yeah, a door opens, yeah. you're like, "Wow, people are having a good time at Mudville." And you close the door, and there's another room where they're doing their thing. It, it's such a great exactly. idea that that's who they are and who they can become. I mean, even if they weren't yeah. that, you can open the doors for them in your own life, in your own home, and discover hiding inside this quite quiet and maybe perplexed dog who's lost the home he had uh, uh, someone just dying to get out and boogie you know i mean that's who a lot that, of them are such a good point i mean you take these dogs that look at the, and that's why the shelter is difficult cages are yes. difficult because yeah. you don't know you know how freaked out would you be if you were in cages i'd know, be horrible this, nobody yeah. would ever yeah. adopt me i assure you i would <laughs> i would be barking and spitting or begging and pleading and i would not do well i would not be a good candidate uh-uh. no curb appeal for you Tracy. None. No, not in a, in a shelter <laughs> maybe the pink hair somebody would say well that's kind of sassy but i'd be like get me out of here or else and, and that's and that's and that's a, just that's a good point that when you when you do take a dog home or when like at Mudville when they arrive at Mudville no cages you know cushy beds everywhere they start to reveal themselves yes. and open up and 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 be these little energetic little you know love bugs. Yep. And it's and it, you've yeah. had I don't know thousands of adoptions by now thousands. Nine thousand over oh, oh nine thousand dogs we've rescued since wow. two thousand seven. Well, with yeah. any luck, Saving Senior Dogs Week this year, which is the third year, may really inspire more people to both adopt them and, of course, go to a dedicated senior dog rescue or sanctuary. Well, not sanctuary because they don't want you to take their dogs, but adopt or foster. Yeah. But go to your any old shelter and say, show me the oldest dog. When yes. people do and that, Tracy they're sort of the Mother so Teresa, yeah. right? I Just show me your <laughs> oldest dog. Show me the dog that's been here the longest. Show me the dog who's going to leave tomorrow, you know? People do do that. I, I mean, and thank you. We are so grateful for because still is, as, 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 as much as the movement has grown for senior dogs, people still need to know yes. that senior dogs are great. So we do appreciate that. Well, we have two movies in the film festival about older dogs, Ballad of Mutt Bill being the hilarious one, which after you see it, you go, oh, I get it. It's so funny. You look at it first, you're like, huh? What? And then you're like, oh, I get it. And then it's over. And you think, could I see that again? So there is a chance we'll <laughs> let you see it again later, at least Ballad of Mudville, if not the whole dog film festival. Jane, Terrific. what you've done there is amazing. What Sherry's done, what all the volunteers have done. And also that the one other closing note is that Saving Senior Dogs Week also gives grants, part of the money raised, part of every ticket of the dog film festival for all of 2021 and 2022. Part of every ticket will go directly to Saving Senior Dogs Week and be split up amongst the 25 rescues. 
It's also to give grants to people who say, I'd like to do that. I've got a living room. I've got a heart. I've got a couch I can throw a throw on and put an old dog on. So it's to get more people to think it. You don't have to think big. You can start small and save senior dogs. So yippity doodah for what you guys are doing. And I'm so looking forward to people seeing this movie amongst the many other wonderful ones. Thank you, Jane. Thank you, Tracy. Pleasure. This show is also brought to you by Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two women who make cooked dog food frozen in pouches shipped directly to your home. This show is also supported by Earth Animal Holistic Pet Wellness Products, privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein. I am delighted to talk to Tal Anderson. She's a film director, also an editor, and an actor. Nowadays, you aren't allowed to say actress. I'm old school. She's a beautiful <laughs> actress and has made a marvelous movie that's in the Cat Film Festival. Boy, I, I have to say that it's one of the films that most touched me. It's so personal. It's about what Kitty Winifred means to, means and meant to tell, but during the pandemic, during the lockdown, during the isolation, what that was like for Tal, as well as for Tal and Winifred, and what she learned from Winifred. But another thing about Tal that fascinates me, and that I'm trying hard to modify my usual speedy style with, is that Tal is on the autism spectrum and is an actor in a wonderful Netflix series called Atypical, which follows an autistic young man when he goes to college and his friends and experiences. And the movie is very personal about what the pandemic and the isolation of the shutdown was like for Tal. And I I learned a great deal from it, and I hope we'll all learn something from talking to her. But do understand that she, because she's autistic, she explained to me that she processes words and conversation differently. So it takes her a moment to reply, which means I can't talk all over her, which I do with so many guests. And I should probably have been trained years ago not to do that. Tal, welcome to the show. Congratulations on your wonderful movie, Serendipity and Me. You did an amazing job. Hey, thank you so much for having me, and thank you. Well, it's a pleasure, and it's very impressive to see someone. I didn't understand that you'd been to film school, but now I understand why you could make such a moving and yet extremely personal film. You also have been a film editor. Can you talk a little bit about your training to be an editor and to be a director, aside from being an Um, actor? Yeah, Um. Let me see. Let me think about it. Um, film school. Like, what did you? Which film school did you go to? Um, I went to Full Sail University in Winter Park, Florida. Um, I went to film school originally because I wanted to ex- be experienced both in front of and behind the camera, but still with the intention of moving to Los Angeles to pursue an acting career. But I also was excited about everything I had learned to do and how I could bring my own stories to life. So now I do both. And, you know, I've actually always been a storyteller my whole life. And even as a child, I was running around everywhere to with a handheld voice recorder. And 
making videos on my flip video camera. But after high school, even though I already decided that I wanted to act professionally, I um, went to full sale and I learned the filmmaking process from start to finish. And I started making my own films. I made my first real film in 2017. And I've made six films of my own since then. Wow. And have edited many more for other filmmakers. That's an extraordinary um, accomplishment, Tal. As you pointed out to me before we started, an actor, particularly a female actor, does not want to necessarily indicate her age. But you're young and beautiful, and to be that accomplished and have that clear of a goal and an ambition that you've realized several times over is pretty impressive. And that you chose your cat as a way to tell your story and a story that could, Mm -hmm. I think, move other people about what it meant to be so isolated from each other is very telling. As you, you have yourself, you show some, some footage of yourself as a little girl, a little, little girl, and said you were always Mm -hmm. quite solitary and kept to yourself. You, you're very clear in the movie. You are autistic. And and that makes us feel we understand and know you better. But of course, it's very hard to really understand somebody else's path in life. But it helped mm-hmm. me to understand perhaps the value to people on the spectrum of a pet. Is, it, is there something you think particularly about cats or even about dogs that is helpful to people of any age on the autism spectrum to, I don't know, feel feelings, uh, express feelings, be more comfortable with themselves, or is it not a value in your experience? Hmm. Um, I never really thought of, not, not really, you know, a lot of autistic people have dogs, but, um, let me, uh, but I've always had cats. I, I've had a cat my whole life, but they were family. They were family pets. Um, and Winnie was the first, Winnie, Winnie I always call her Winnie. Right. Winifred, I always call her Winnie, um, is the first cat who has been mine and my sole responsibility. So she is literally like my child and I had to be responsible, responsible for her well-being and happiness in addition to my own. You know, yes, um, yes, yeah, and that's and that's interesting for anybody to have to step outside themselves and think about others. The reason I asked the question, and I did promise you ahead of time, I would give you the question I was going to ask, and then I warned you that I tend to go off in strange directions. But the reason why I asked you the question about whether you think pets, cats particularly, or dogs are of personal or a special help to people on the autism spectrum is that some studies have been done about it. You know, children, autistic children, I think ones that mm-hmm. really cannot communicate um, and, and that pets were a bridge for them to be able to, I don't know, uh, f- feel or, or find their way more to feelings or to interact with other people. Clearly not a problem for you. I mean, there you were as a a, a wee thing running around making films. I mean, you sound like, you know, a, wasn't Steven Spielberg making movies when he was a kid or something? It's great. I mean, you you right. clearly <laughs> saw the world as 
I'm going to tell stories and I'm going to use video and audio and I'm going to tell it that way. You, you, clear, yeah. you clearly did that with serendipity and me. Can you talk about the moment where you said, ah, I see where there's a movie and what I'm living through this COVID pandemic and this isolation. Was there a moment where you watched Winnie hide her catnip mice and thought, I'm learning something that maybe can help other people with their, with what they've had to live through in COVID? Um, I made the film for the, I made this film as part of the Easter Seals Disability Film Challenge because they were sponsoring, they were sponsoring a home edition challenge during the pandemic. So making a film for this challenge just in general raises disability awareness and representation, which is why I participate every year. Um, Actually, even making this film itself completely from home was one of the joys I discovered in the pandemic. I learned that you can make a film anywhere in and in any situation if you're willing to be flexible, flexible and creative and mm-hmm. put in the work. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also took advantage of the time I had during lockdown to advocate for a bit for autism and disability representation in the media. But I did that mainly through interviews and panels that I was asked to be a part of. Yes. Normally, most of most of my time spent train is spent training and working, but advocating for representation is pretty important. And the the pandemic and lockdown gave me the time to really think about how I can do more. So that was a nice thing. Well, it's very nice that you saw that positive side of the pandemic and and found a message from the cat because I do think our pets have lots of messages for all of us all the time which we don't have the time or the focus to notice. And I think that mm-hmm. you you took this and you you made a kind of a, a a love poem to my mind to Winifred in a time when there was so little ability for anyone to love each other. You know, we couldn't touch each other, we couldn't visit with each other. And here you you were able to look at Winifred as this other being living her life with a certain amount of solitude. Of course, she's an indoor cat. So it's not as though she suddenly had to come indoors like you were an outdoor cat, right? We were all outdoor yeah. kitties and now suddenly we're all housebound. It was a pretty big shock. Uh, I don't know if you're comfortable talking a little bit about being an actor in a particular series that's focused on autism, almost normalizing it, if that is an okay word to use. I don't know. It might be politically incorrect. I have no idea. But um, I was fascinated by it, and you were a wonderful actor in it. Um, I wonder, when you talk about inclusion and awareness, when they started to develop Atypical, which is certainly a show people should enjoy, and Tal, you're in the third and fourth season, right? Yes. So you guys have to watch like I did, not have to. You'll enjoy watching, and then along will come Tal, and you'll say, wait a minute, isn't she that director? Yeah, she is that as well. Yeah. Um, But I think that it's a chance for people to understand others. And I wonder, you know, is it sort of turning the mirror around? We're all so thinking, well, we're all 
normal. And then there's people that are other than us. But doesn't everybody have some of these qualities, perhaps not to be designated as on a spectrum? But do you think that part of inclusion is not to feel this need to consider others being other, but to being another human being with with strengths, weaknesses, uh, and differences? Hmm. I guess, but we are all unique. Yes, that's for sure. And I'm sure even any of the autistic actors you worked with, they were completely different from you in their own ways, right? Um, right, yeah. I mean, it's not and like autism is one thing. It's many things. Yeah, and my autism is part of who I am. Correct. Yes. And do you... Did, did your parents, did your family always make you celebrate your your uniqueness and encourage your uh, creative impulses and desires? It sounds like they did. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And did your mom come to California with you when you chose to move there to be an actor? Yes. Yes, she did. So, you know, it's interesting how many very supportive parents, whether it's Jennifer Lawrence's parents or I don't know, there's a bunch of very successful singers who, I don't know, they were 12 and they said, we got to move to Nashville and their parents did it. I'm always amazed at mother love. I guess that's really what it is, isn't it? I mean, you're saying you felt like Winifred is your child. It seems like a mother will go to any lengths to encourage a child to reach her potential, find her joy and it seems as if you have done that in many ways. Um, yes. Um, my mom did help me, did to help, did move here to LA with me to help me settle and get started because this, this business is so different and foreign. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's foreign to anybody from anywhere. And then when you get there, it's a bit of a jungle as well. So yeah. it, it, so it's really great you could do that. But I, having originally, when I was 21, moved to L.A. to be to continue being an actress, because then you could be an actress. You could be a female person who was called an actress. And I'd done quite a lot of studying <laughs> in New York and at NYU and voice teachers and mm-hmm. ballet and stuff. And, you know, took it seriously, as you do. You know, as you said, you train and study. And I found that having... Other people have complete control over your life from soup to nuts, whether they want to be your agent or your manager or call you in for an audition mm-hmm. or call you back or give you the part was just very uncomfortable in the end for me. It felt like I would never have control over my life. But you as a director have a comp- have another outlet for your creativity, something which if you can find funding, you can be a director without other people you know, telling you when or how is, do you feel that way? Um, as an autistic person, that is perfect for me. I like order and rules. Yes. Oh, I see. Right. No surprises. But on the other hand, you'd have to sit still for many days or weeks aside from COVID, hoping somebody calls you for an audition, right? I mean, you're still, you have no control over your fate. Let's put it that way. Mm, um, I, um, let me think about that. Um, 
I guess really it's my my perception of acting. And it might just be my perception of it and not the reality of it for you, who's already a successful working actor. So yes. you haven't um, had the problem of sitting around for like many friends of mine did, you know, 10 months without a job or, or barely a call. Yes. You know, it's hard. Yes. I create on my own. I create things. I create on my own and that's what keeps me going. And so in downtimes, I write and, and, and edit. Um, and so I write my own, write new things, create new I things see. that are. That makes it very different because you are a creative person. You don't, you're not just an interpretive creative person. You also create things from scratch. Well, that's clearly what you did in Serendipity and Me. And Winifred is quite the and, movie star. Yeah. Um, can I also add something about of that? Of course. Of about course. the last one? Yes. Um, I'm currently working on two animated short films. Wow. And that are in pre-production. And I'm writing and producing a supernatural short film with the Never Television actors here in LA. Wow. But, um, this, but this film needs to be a union production if we both want to be in it because I'm somewhat limited if I want to be in my own film because I'm a SAG after member. So any film um, I am personally in has to be a union production. Which makes it much more complicated and costly. Well, you know what? You've you've put yourself in a great position, Tal. We've run out of time, but you you're in a wonder. You're in what they call the catbird seat. You have great things ahead of you. You've already done so much, and I wish only more wonderful things for you. And I look forward to everyone coming to the Cat Film Festival and seeing Serendipity and me, and seeing a wonderful young creative person at work. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And Winnie and I both thank you for supporting our film. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the guests as much as I did. Kiss your kitties and hug your pooches, and we will talk again next week. Bye for now.